0: Hello, everyone. This is Jack Humphrey, co-founder of Duvisio and TheLeveragists.com. And we are here on Leverage Masters. Gina is under the weather today, so hopefully she'll be able to call in if she can't. Uh, I'm running the show, so bear with me because I'm pushing all the buttons and I'm interviewing, and I'm not real good at that. It's funny because I've been doing it for like 15 years, but I'm still no good at it. But hopefully our guest today, Kelly McCauzy, will bear with me as well. I'm going to give you a little introduction, and we'll get going. Kelly, can we hear you? Hello. Hey, we can hear Gee. you. Awesome. See, when I'm pushing buttons, i got to make sure, because there will be dead air at the end of this introduction if I don't. Cool. I'll just get <laughs> this going, and we're going to have a great show today. I'm so excited to talk to Kelly. Kelly started as a solopreneur in 2002. She's an old-timer like me, a uh, single mom, but... M- Aging much better than me, by the way. <laughs> a single mom with one young son, she made graphics and websites for other home-based business owners. She worked hard and charged too little for her time. How familiar a thing is that? Uh, we all learn that lesson at some point, right? Thankfully, she learned quickly, and there are smarter ways to uh, that. There are smarter ways to build an income online. For many years now, she no longer trades hours for dollars. Instead, she blogs, podcasts, designs, partners creates information products, runs membership programs, holds live retreats and co- retreats, and coaches others to get where they want to be in an online business. As if that's any easier than what you were doing before, that's an even longer list. We're going to get into all of this today uh, and, and figure out how Kelly does it. Because I've been looking at your stuff and I'm thinking, I want to know how you keep all of these balls in the air that you apparently have in the air, or are you using some secret leverage tactics we're going to find that out today. Kelly, thanks so much for being here.
1: Hi Jack, I'm glad to be here.
0: <laughs> so what a build up, right? Like I'm going to totally grill you on on uh on some of these things. I want to find out first of all though how how what is it that's getting you out of bed? We start every week out this way with every expert we have on the show. What are you fired up right in this moment? What got you out of bed today, ready to greet the day?
1: <laughs> I I'm motivated to love people and make money. I love that I get to work with people to create the lifestyle and the business that they really want to create because they want to love people. It it's it's making money is great, but loving people comes first always.
0: Awesome. That's great. I love that I'm it's really weird how Every single person comes on every single week and gives sort of, sort of or greatly different answers to that same basic question. It's amazing, now I'm just kinda doing a study on when is, it gonna, when is anybody gonna repeat someone else's morning routine and what they're grateful for, and they haven't done it yet, and we've been doing this part for over a year, so it's crazy. Uh, one of our guests, Ken, Ken Krell, said the first thing he, he thinks about in the morning is uh, going to pee. So there was one really funny one, and the rest of them have been actually really good quality ones, like yours was today so well, I want to get into this as quickly as possible as far as what you do um, you know give us a little background on what your daily routine is like and i I don't know what to call you. Are you a podcaster or a content marketer, or what's your what's your title? What do you feel like you do the most in your business
1: well if someone if I meet someone casually i usually give the blanket answer that i'm a web consultant because you know they don't they're not going to get any of the other answers but if i meet someone at an a, a industry event i'll usually say i'm a blogger podcaster information marketer and business coach um because because so you haven't been able to choose writing. either huh <laughs> Variety is the spice of life. I like doing different yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about a daily I, routine? And I don't have a daily routine. Every day is is really quite different.
0: Well, then okay. So that sounds great and everything, but you're not just a hippie, you're in business. How in the world do you keep everything straight if you don't have routine in your business?
1: Hmm. Um, well, a routine is not necessarily a daily routine. Uh, there's, true, there's certainly true. I'll a give that. there's, there's a rhythm to my business, but the rhythm changes according to what I have going on. For example, right now I'm running a 30 day challenge, so um, I have a lot of extra things on my calendar. I record a video, an intimidation crusher video, every business day for my Facebook group. I have two live group challenge sessions with special guests. Those are extra things in my schedule, so the rhythm of this week is different. Um, Other weeks, it'll get downright quiet around here. Um, I don't like to create consistent work for myself. I I like to work in – I'm willing to hustle in seasons so that I can chill in other seasons.
0: Mm, Nice. So I'm scratching little things off my list like uh, ask her if she blogs every day. No. Ask her – you know, I'm just – I'm I'm figuring you out because it looks like you're just – and this is what everybody wants to look like, right? You want to have a rich uh, environment for people to engage with you on uh, on issues that they really care about, questions they have that you're an expert in, with the answers just flowing from your site, flowing from your social media. And it looks like you've got like this Huffington Post kind of powerhouse thing going on, but you've discovered some kind of way to make it look like that, but not be like that, like chaotic, because if anybody's ever seen the back end of Huffington Post, it's just utter chaos to get all of those stories mm-hmm. up on such a massive, massive blog uh, all the people running around, all the deadlines that need to be met, all the social media that has to be done to support the content that goes out every single day, which is a mountain of content. you know. And then we all run our little miniature Huffington Post, if we're bloggers at all, if we're content producers at all, mm-hmm. if we're podcasters or anything else. Uh, so how do you how do you maintain – because we got to be running all the time, or at least the appearance is that we've always got to be moving, like sharks will die if we stop swimming – in this publishing world that we have, in this communication ADD situation that we've created with all the social media and everybody's attention span going to negative five and having to capture their interest and get them. You, you have to produce content. You have to do all of these things. How does that work out in your world? And I'm really interested in it because I have a feeling that you're going to say something <laughs> that's going to tick people <laughs> off, that you can appear to do that but not have to feel like you're in total chaos at all times
1: right well i don't buy into the idea that i've got to be busy and hustling all the time i have to be smart so first thing i have this particular blog solo Smart, has been around since i rebranded in 2011 and there's a lot of fantastic content on there But I have only written two blog posts in the last month. Um, I don't believe... For shame. I don't (laughs) believe today that we need to be... Well, it depends. If you're new, if you have a brand new platform, you need to be creating content. But I have an existing platform that's matured. So it is not a good use of my time to create lots of new content. What I did last year, I did a content refresh challenge and I spent a month, myself and my virtual assistant, going through all of the content on my blog and checking to see is it still relevant, does it need to have an updated link, does it need to have a new social friendly image created because years ago we didn't always put images on our blog posts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I refreshed every item of content that was worthy of refreshing. And I deleted all the old noise that just isn't evergreen. And, and so I have about 30 to 40 really good items of content. And I just promote the stink out of that. If you are, if you have an existing body of content that you're really proud of you can slow down on new content creation and give your existing content fresh love and attention. Hmm. So, I like I don't this. hustle that. Yeah. Right. One of the one of the things I did, so I wrote a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog post about managing bright, shiny object syndrome. And mm-hmm. it was received quite well by my people. So I did a podcast on the same topic. Then I recorded videos. I did the same content broken up into four separate videos. And it was all received so well. Then I created a, a content upgrade that really pulls people onto my list. And, and then I started to actually share the same message as a, as a live message. I did it as a webinar, and I did it live for an audience uh, when I spoke at NAMS. It's such a hot topic, and it meant so much to people at the time. There are new people finding me every week. So if I don't take time every now and then to promote that older content, wouldn't it be a shame if they didn't find it? Wouldn't it be a shame if I was trying to figure out something new to write about when something I've already created can have such an impact on people?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. I, I've, I just got done. Somebody that I follow on Twitter uh, just came out with this massive guide on how to come up with I'm paraphrasing, but it seemed like she was talking about how to come up with just thousands of ideas for new blog posts. And I I don't know why that appeals to people the way that it seems to. Like at least when they get to a landing page, it's promising this really cool guide that's going to give you a million ideas on how to ruin your life is how I fill in the blank there. Not make more blog (laughs) posts, but completely and utterly ruin your life. And even to me to this day, those kinds of things are appealing um uh, and, and in SEO it's the same thing. I follow tons of SEO guys. I perform SEO services for people for clients and things and consulting, and so I keep up with that stuff and they're 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 uh you can kind of get a, a finger on the pulse of the whatever industry you're in based on the giveaways that everybody's doing on their landing pages and this giveaway was mm-hmm. one hundred and thirty seven places to get backlinks and mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote one of the first books on on getting links ever and bre- breaking the uh, first uh, Google algorithm way way back in 2000. And so I I'm you know sympathetic to the cause and I know that links and content are the only two things that actually truly matter in SEO to this day and they always have from the very beginning till now with all the other changes those two things have remained exactly the same in level of importance as they did when the first search algorithm was ever created. And so I'm Sympathetic, but I look at that stuff and it's like 137 ways to do this and 50 million ways to do that, and, and you're going to be writing all the time. You don't understand, and I don't know why people have a disconnect. Like, if you, if you take this person up on their idea, you have to put two and two together and realize you're never going to do anything but write and create content and research and everything else if, if the promise of this thing is kept, you, you know? And what you just brought up, it's almost like what we're learning now is, and what you've learned way before now, uh, is building campaigns around successful content. Like we'll test a landing page to death. If you're doing it right, you'll test it. You'll get a control. You'll try some new headlines. You'll try some new graphics and all that stuff, and test and test and test. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about what you just did, which is the equivalent of content testing test content once it gets a really good response, as if you were paying money to advertise it, because we'll test that stuff because we don't want to waste money. But people don't test their content and go, wait, this is evergreen. People could find me for this for years. I could come back and fix it later if there's a link that needs to be fixed. And I can expand on it and make it a campaign. It's no longer a blog post. It's a podcast episode. It's a a video recording Mm. for YouTube and Facebook. It's all these different things. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because, I really feel like that's the remedy to a lot of people's woes. When they see somebody out there proclaiming that what it's going to take for them to succeed is 10,000 ideas for new blog posts, that's got to take the wind out of people's sails when they really realize what that means, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was, there was certainly a time, if we, you know, if we go back 15 years, uh, I used to teach – publish something to your blog every day Google loves fresh content and it was true and but not today I mean today if you're publishing something new to your blog every single day you are not giving it enough promotional love and attention I guarantee it and people are missing out on a bunch of your content they just don't even want to read that much of your stuff they can't PLDR. possibly implement it. Yep. You mentioned Huffington Post. I mean Huffington Post is appealing to people who are looking to distract themselves um and get, you know, all excited and jazzed about something and and that has a place. You know, that's not my goal. I'm not here to entertain people. I'm here to equip them to build a business and Uh, you know, they want content that has deep applicational value. So... Yeah, it's a different
0: ballpark. And And people seem to understand that it's going to take a minute. If you're looking to educate yourself, it's going to take a little bit longer than the time you might spend skimming a Huffington Post article or something just for, you know, there's no pressure on you by you to remember anything that you're seeing in those situations. But here... They're presumably coming to learn. And so as a publisher, would you recommend that people – well, I know you already do, but talk a little bit more about why it's so important. Like what kind of gains have you gotten? When you did that content uh, reboot or refresh, what kinds of actual gains did you get from that? Did you see – do you pay attention to search? Did you see search results that go up or, or just just more – of what you already had becoming very enhanced by the changes that you made and the refresh that you did to that old content?
1: I I did not see a significant increase in traffic. I deleted a lot of old content from back when the blog was Work at Home Moms Talk Radio. So if anything, I saw a little dip in, in traffic that wasn't doing me any good. So it didn't mind me. I didn't, mind. I didn't mind at all that it was going away but what I have seen is the conversion rate on my email list opt-ins is increased because the content is all really good so all the traffic is all the content is on topic for what I have to offer them as a gift Yeah, and Uh, and and to sell so I feel I feel excellent about it
0: (laughs) yeah well and so maybe I can help I can summarize for our listeners that what we're really talking about here then is people don't surf around looking for something to do anymore I don't know what the year was that was the last time anybody did that you know, in terms of the internet being so boring and so small that there was only a couple of people in every industry where were really worth reading, you could stick on their blog and just read and go to the next post. Nobody goes to the next mm-hmm. post. Everybody now wants to accomplish something, even if it's just entertainment. I want to laugh for a minute and then I got to get back to something else because I can't stand to stay in one place at uh, you know for any length of time, and even there's a little bit of that in education so you have started you have consolidated everything into its really finer essence, like stuff that you're really proud of. And turns out, mm-hmm. people can tell that when they subscribe to your list and they start getting exposed slowly to all your other stuff, but in a very it's like you're a party planner, and you're going to tell everybody where they're going to be at seven o'clock, and it, you know, we don't self-serve anymore. And if we have to do that too much, it, we just screw things up conversions for you as a marketer go way down because people are just flapping their wings all over your site and they don't, they don't know where to land or, or anything like that. And it sounds like you've put together a system, and I've heard a lot of other people talk about it this way. This is the best content I've got in this, 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 and this category. I should really, and there's millions of people out there. <laughs> so the, the first time you promote something or you put a blog post up, and, you know, you get 10 people to see it on Facebook and maybe share it a couple times and 20 reshares if you're lucky on Twitter and whatever other platforms you use. And then, and then you go to publish another article or get ready for tomorrow and write for another two hours. Like you said, there's, there's no there there. And you've wasted mm-hmm. so much, all the two hours or whatever it took you to put that content together to only get an audience view of that little tiny amount. And then hope later that Google likes that page enough that it will put it in there for some keywords, but everybody's ensconced in every industry now with all the keywords that make any money at all, that are relevant at all to any industry that's worth being competitive in. So you can't just march on to Google anymore. You can't just post something and rank. I used to have something called post and rank (laughs) technology, some software that we had. And it really was true in that era because there were so many holes in every market still that were easy to take over if you knew a couple of tricks. I think this consolidation thing, if I can call it that, you probably call it something else, but I I call it consolidation and and really focusing in and going back and fixing up things, going back and editing posts, like you said, uh, that were, maybe some of them were years old. But if that was really something inspiring to you at the time, and, and you look at it today and it's still relevant, and you tweak it a little bit, that's way way more worth your time spent than it is to, uh, to create new junk, you know, and just to contribute to the puking of content that goes on all over the Internet 24-7, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, there's – I made the mistake I – m- I mentioned – in, in my intro, you mentioned that I used to charge way too little for my time, work too hard. Another way that I created a resistance for myself was always thinking I have to tackle my weaknesses. So I'm doing well here. I'm, I've been podcasting since 2003. So I'm doing well in podcasting. I should go over here and and, and rock the video world. I'm doing okay in blogging. I should be over here figuring out um, AdWords. And I would spend all this time chasing what someone says is a great strategy. And it many, many years of chasing things that weren't really easy for me, that that took a lot of time to bring a payoff, it finally dawned on me that I'm abandoning what works for what might work. And I just kind of shook it off and said I'm just going to do what I know works. I'm going to rock my podcast, I'm going to rock my blog. I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm curious about and I'm going to get great advice and try new things, but I'm not going to push against my weaknesses and invite hard work into my life there's there's a way that if we just play to our strengths consistently enough that we we create a business that we love I have I have a client that just I I told her you're going to wish you'd met me sooner because she's literally spent the last five years trying to take advice from so many different people about strategies that will never work for her or her niche and and when when we talked about what will work she started laughing she said are you kidding me she didn't say kidding she said something else but she's like are you kidding me because that would be as natural (laughs) for me as breathing and I'm like yeah (laughs) that's what it should be like (laughs) and so yeah you know don't Don't make things hard for yourself. Don't push against weaknesses, trying to, you know, feel like you should do this and you ought to do that. Do what you're awesome at.
0: Yeah, isn't it funny? I mean, a lot of people are coming into business and have over the years come from corporate America, coming from things that they they're like I'm going to be an entrepreneur, and in those bright, shiny new days of their their new venture, it was all roses and candy and and sunbeams and bunny rabbits. Because it's like I am charge <laughs> of myself, and they go around talking to each other. I don't have a boss. I can wake up whenever I want. It's kind of like a petulant toddler in those early entrepreneurial entrepreneurial years. Because it's like I don't want to. I don't have to. I don't gotta. And then something really weird starts to happen, and they start acting like they have a boss, like some imaginary boss that says, well, I've got to do this because somebody said that I've got to do that, and I'm like, wait, hold on. Somewhere between the petulant toddler and entrepreneur and the mature entrepreneur, you've lost complete track because you are in charge of your life, and you're allowed to pick what's as easy as breathing to you, and just let that be all right. I love to watch really natural people come on who would never call themselves entrepreneurs. They're typically very much younger, um, and they don't have any formal training, which is a plus, actually, in in their situations, and they just naturally get on YouTube, or they get on uh, any other channel, and they pick that, and they fall in love with that delivery mode. They fall in love with the response they're getting from the burgeoning audience that they have, and they just go for it. They don't think about it again. And there's so many people I could interview on it, they wouldn't know what a landing page was if it bit them in the face. They wouldn't know what search engine optimization was either because it doesn't even matter to them because they're working on a third-party platform that markets them, you know, themselves, (laughs) itself. And I love watching that. I love seeing people do that and that's what I try to tell people. I mean, when you're working with clients, do you ever try to bring in the naturals, the look at what this person decided to do and this is their channel. I just I'm following this girl now who is just totally killing it with a Facebook group. One Facebook group. And by killing it I mean a quarter of a million dollars in ninety days killing it with oh, a Facebook wow. group.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: She runs three months worth of content. She she uh she does all this really cool stuff, really, really bonds, goes completely deep and not wide and just blows people's minds, sets a little trigger in the very beginning saying, I'm going to have something. You guys need to sign up for this list, this waiting list, because at the end of this, you're going to want to know about it. That's all she sets. And then she does three months of hardcore content, sh- showing up on webinars, showing up on all kinds of stuff on the, on the group, promoting it, getting people in. She has people opt into her list. Then she tells the, her thank you pages to go to the group and join it. That's it. There's no upsell or anything. And then she spent, you don't have to do it this way. I'm not, and this is the thing, you guys, you don't have to do it this way, right? This is just something that's happening in the world so you can see what it's like when somebody adopts just one thing. Just do the thing that makes it feel like all you have to do is breathe. And it's natural and it's good, and this is what she did. At the end of the three months, she sold 70 things. Um, her first time doing it was like $160,000, $170,000, uh, selling 70 uh, consulting things. She only had a goal for fifty. She just wanted to do six figures with a Facebook group. She did well over that and since then <laughs> has gone on to do huge, huge numbers. Isn't that cool to do you tell people stories like that when you do you want to loosen people up when they become clients of yours, right? Like, let's loosen up a little bit. Let's get our muscles warm and you know, talk about some things that are going on in the world so you can picture yourself doing that your you know, in your own way. Mm-hmm. Is that anything mm-hmm. that you work with people
1: on? Well we if If she were my client, I would definitely be bragging about her <laughs> but yes well that's that's one of the reasons I have my podcast is because I get to interview people about what's working and I can point people to listen to great stories like that. I'm super curious about her now what i am curious what her niche is <laughs> that sounds awesome
0: it's it's marketing, and I just found out about her the other day, and I don't even i can't even um recall her name right now but I'll put it in the show notes and I'll send you the link. It's really interesting cool. just so you guys can check it out and 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 go through her process. I did and it's like wow, this is freaking brilliant in its simplicity. In its in its simplicity that it has the power that it does at the end of the 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 cycle that she promotes and she's in six figures at the end of that thing. Now it's for her business and it's also in an area where people are willing to spend over $1,000 on a product, on a result. So information marketer, of course, consulting, business type stuff. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean you can't do that for a $24 product. You know, you probably should figure Mm -hmm. out a back end, and you probably should. But if the lifetime value of your customer – well, a one-year value of your customer is $1,000 or more, you're good to go. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean – it doesn't have to be one big old product. And I think a lot of people look at that too and they go, well, I come to Internet Marketers to find out about Internet Marketing and find out most of them are actually selling information and doing consulting, but I'm interested in selling didgeridoos. And I make them in my home, and I've got other people who are getting ready to ramp up production and make them too, and that doesn't match anything that you guys are doing because can't, you can't download a didgeridoo. And people get really worked up about that kind of stuff. How do you, how do you help them through that?
1: Well, that's interesting because um, – so Nicole Dean and I partner in running Beachpreneurs, which is um, – it's it's for women only. They're beach-hosted uh, live events. We do a retreat house in Pensacola Beach. We do a hotel event in Daytona Beach. That's actually next weekend. Uh, we have a, a beachy. Stacy Ann Lowry. She's the ornament girl, and Stacy came to the beach house. She already had a, a a really amazing following and a very nice business, creating ornaments and uh, selling patterns to ornaments. And um, when she, I was a little mystified in the beginning, I I was very curious. Like, how did you Build such a huge following around these <laughs> ornaments. You know, what did you? I, I was little, I was, I had questions about how she did it, but she had had a sense of where she felt like she'd maxed out what she could do with it. But through coaching, through the beach house experience and coaching with Nicole specifically, she went home and launched a membership, a physical product membership, which I don't even want to say for sure but I last time I remember her saying the number it's over twelve hundred members. Wow. Paying her. So her business she now has a separate location outside of her home. She had to she had to learn how to source products um from in massive amounts obviously and and so I personally couldn't have helped her do that. Nicole couldn't have helped her do everything she needed to do but we were definitely able to get her to see the possibility of a membership but what happened at the beach house was we had another beachy who is an amazon fba seller who she sources her own products from china so she was able to speak to how do i get the products on a massive level and another beachy that was there you know was able to point out Another advantage on, you know, this is how you can save a lot of time in shipping. So I'm not going to be the answer for every different business type out there. But I know someone that knows someone. And so I don't, like, if someone is selling a physical product, if they came to me for coaching, I would probably say I could help you to a certain extent. Check for anything where I see roadblocks to sales. You know, marketing is marketing, but there—I don't think mm-hmm. I would be a good long-term coach for a physical product seller. I think that they would be really smart to work with someone with a specialty in that at some point.
0: That's why I know you're awesome, which is why we always have such awesome guests because you're not afraid to tell people look somewhere else if you know, <laughs> and uh, and be yeah. cool with that because that's and that's. You know how many times I've gotten clients doing that by insisting that they go look at somebody else or recommending somebody else. They keep coming back to me like, "Well, wait a minute," <laughs> and and then we end up doing something magical that I didn't think was possible when I was telling them to go. Somebody else would be a better fit for them. But that's when I that's when I learned that we're not really as as consultants and coaches just supposed to lay down the law, like here's how you do this and this and this and just totally take over and everything. We're really there to unlock, to help in any way that we possibly can in our own small ways to unlock the greatness that's within that person. Because sometimes clients will make themselves clients and they'll insist on it. And they'll be like, I can feel that there's something here. And it's their creativity. You would never, ever have been able to come up with the, the ornament lady's success Thing that she mm-hmm, did, but, mm-hmm. this, but nobody in the world could have. Nobody could have. That all came from her. And she unlocked some pieces of the puzzle herself. And then she went and sought out other people who could help her unlock the rest of it. But make no mistake, that sounds like a person who is in full direction <laughs> and, and control of where she's going and has ideas and is probably intimidated more than she should be by the fact that some of us have been around doing marketing stuff, and she feels like she's missing out on stuff, and she probably is. I'm sure we can enhance and help people in those ways and help them with their systems and, and all of that, uh, but that's when I realized the clients come packing their own wisdom. It's just innate, and it's, um, they don't know, and they're not confident in it. And so over the years, I learned to be a lot more quiet, ask a lot more questions, and let them go so I can figure out the things that they say. And they'll say the words, but they won't hear themselves saying them. And then I'll stop and tell them, hey, did you hear what you just said? Do you know what that means? Because you're a genius, and you didn't even know it. And they're like, what? I'm supposed to be, you're supposed to be telling me everything to do. And I'm like, nope. For, rule number one of being one of my clients, <laughs> I'm not going to be telling you everything you need to do how how much of that has come to play in in your business?
1: Definitely. The I learn a lot from my clients. I learn a lot from seeing how they do things. You know, it's important to me um both with the partnership with Nicole at Beach Brothers and in my own business. I'm not looking to create cookie cutter Kellys. I don't mm-hmm. I can tell you how I do it. But how I do it might not work for you. The best, I can give you, I can tell you what, every single thing I do all day long, but but you're not Kelly. You haven't been doing this since 2002, 2003. You don't have the connections I have, the experience I have. Uh, so you've got to figure out, what do you bring to the table? And so in coaching, if if I get someone, I my program, Love People and Make Money, the first thing, the first modules I want them to go through is, is to find out what they bring to the table, what they want to bring to the table, who they want to serve and what they want to create for them so that we can figure out what, is going to work best for you so that's not going to be cookie cutter Kelly different different things work in different niches um, we've had a lot of fun I've got a client who's in the psychic niche and you want to talk about airy fairy touchy-feely people um, things that work in my niche would not fly there but yeah. But things work over there that would never fly in my world. And so we get to experiment in really fascinating ways with that, uh, with that niche.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's also really cool things. It's like everybody in a certain niche is basically learning from each other, cheating off of each other, looking over each other's shoulder. Ooh, they got a landing page like that. Maybe I'll tweak mine a little bit to have that. <laughs> But what if it's in an industry that doesn't even know about landing pages or having their own email list that's the way that we do it, marketers do it, uh, or any of those things? There's, I love to take somebody who comes from a, an area that everybody's basically doing the same thing, and the same could be said for information marketers. I'm totally aware. I'm not trying to be hypocritical or anything, but every industry has a regular way of doing things, and, they're, and it's only what they know. And you're like uh, MLMers. Are, are really just all on social media. They hardly ever have their own websites. They certainly don't know what a funnel is. I mean, literally somebody in an MLM just asked me what a funnel was last week. What's a funnel? Mm-hmm. I was talking about funnel. What's a mm-hmm. funnel? I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That's, wow. Well, let me show you. <laughs> because if nobody in your industry is doing this, and we're getting this kind of result over here, it's definitely worth a look. Because you'd be given people who are used to seeing the same old stuff. Everybody's shouting through the same exact megaphone, the same exact message in the same exact way. Why don't you change the megaphone completely? Why don't you change their experience, flip them on, you know, do a pattern interrupt and see how it goes. And sometimes those things get really exciting. And it, and it spreads like wildfire. Then everybody in their network's like, how do I get one of those? I see you kicking butt with that. I need one of those. And, and that's really good if you're the one who's introducing that stuff to them, <laughs> but it also yeah. y- it keeps you on your toes. You got to keep going, right? And and looking yeah. at different things because that's leverage, right? You you've seen mm-hmm. leverage things come up where you're like, you have an opportunity. Doesn't seem like anybody else is seeing this. I can't believe nobody. You guys can't see this. This is weird because this is really working over here. And and then you got to have enough confidence to go all right, don't blow this off like it's a fluke. Don't just go back to what you were doing because you're used to it and this scares you a little bit. I mean, I'm sure you've been through that scenario at least several times where you're like, is this for real? Should I continue to, mm-hmm. you know, because you are, you have to be loyal to the things, you, know, you blog, podcast, everything else, and I'll experiment a little, but I'm going to stay loyal. So you got a the little voice in the back of your head going, you don't have time for this. This is, prob- this is dangerous. This isn't your blog or podcast. You know, how willing are you able to... <laughs> be to go out on that limb like that and uh and just go you know what i think we got to try this this is this is a nice nice little tweak and it won't take too much time if i'm responsible and everything with my time do you do that very often mm-hmm.
1: yeah well it that leads right into the bright shiny object syndrome content that i created and and i i i don't see bright shiny object syndrome as a problem i see it as something to manage and it's my responsibility as an online marketing business owner and coach to be aware of what's new. I budget about 15% of my time to exploring shiny objects. Um, so that means I'm going to go play with that new plug-in. I'm going to go check out that new thing that they're talking about. I'm going to see if it fits and if it's something I want to share with my community or something I want to invest some more time in. Um, you know, in our world, it seems like everything that comes around has has come around before. One example, mm-hmm. um, if we go back about four years, um, I I was curious about launching a micro-continuity program, a coaching program, uh, not a coaching program, but an information resource-based membership that would cost less than $10 a month. And when I asked around about it, most people said, oh, that doesn't work anymore. Um, You know, nobody's doing that anymore. They tried that. People got burnout on it. I don't think it'll work. You'll never get enough members to make it worthwhile. But I was just, I was curious. I I had asked Paul Evans about it. Uh, Paul Paul Evans has had a, a microcontinuity program serving youth ministry leaders forever. And he provides something they need. If it's something that they need, that they're always going to need, and you make it so cheap that, that the price is forgettable, it should work. And I thought, if that still works for him, what could I find that would work for my people? And so I started... Um, I launched Image Monthly. Now, this is, this is actually, I closed that program three years later, but I launched it and had 500 paying members within two weeks. Wow. No doubt that it worked. No doubt that it worked. I just, um, because my industry, my, my community, hadn't seen the microcontinuity in a while, they were like, what? I have to pay only this much a month? I've got to check this out. And then when they found that, oh, I'm actually giving them something that they could use, I was sourcing 25 royalty-free photos for them every month and giving them tips on graphics and, and creating social-friendly images and stuff like that. My affiliates got excited about promoting it, and um, and I had a really good stick rate. A year later, I still had 75% of my subscribership. Nice. Um, that's not just a really later. good
0: stick rate that's phenomenal
1: yeah that three years later I had reshaped it once I'd gotten down to I was creeping down to 50 percent after about two years I reshaped it a little bit and built it back up again and then it was start to starting to putter down again and <clears throat> what was happening
0: Kelly, did we lose you? Say it ain't so.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry. I still, uh, What there was you happening are. at the time? <laughs> the re- as I started to lose members again, I was looking around and I saw in the last three years, free royalty-free photo sites were propagating at a really fast rate. There's just more and more places where people could get their free images. And so they were seeing less of a point of being part of my membership, even though it was really inexpensive, when it trended down to about, I had lost about 60% of my membership, I decided to call it and close it down. Um, And I actually didn't stop doing what I was doing. I just shifted it over to the PLR market in a new brand. Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad I gave it a try when people said not to, because I made, I mean over that course of that three years it was it was about thirty thousand dollars in income. Yeah. From a very simple low effort project that was mostly outsourced.
0: Yeah. I love those stories and I love I I get really perky when I tell pe- when people say uh something doesn't work anymore. One of the things you probably, I know you'll remember this, Rick Raddatz came out with something, I think when he was working with Alex Mendozian, and it was that little postcard thing where you would email somebody a link and say, I made you, and this, you guys have to realize this was really novel at the time. It was super novel. You'll laugh at it now, but Everybody gave up on it way too early, in my opinion. In fact, in my experience, they gave up on it way too early. It was a way to embed your video, a talking head video, into a little postcard. And it was just an image of you had a couple of choices. and Do you remember seeing that way, way, way back mm-hmm. in the day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So I thought that was the coolest thing. And when I used it, I got huge responses because in the context of that time, we didn't have anything like that. I didn't have any easy way. I mean, there were issues with, like, where you would host your video and, like, all kinds of junk. And he came up with a really simple solution where we didn't have to worry about that. We'd record our thing. We'd put a couple of words on the postcard graphic that uh, that you could put on there. And then there'd be a link to something you wanted to go to, which was a great thing. And, and, and people got tired of that in, like, five minutes. It seemed like, to me, everybody started – that started the era of – if it came out two months ago, it's already old, everybody's doing it, it's already saturated, and everybody had that kind of an attitude. But I kept going with it. And as everybody dropped it, my response rate got even better because, you know, for a minute there, everybody was using it. You, you might have used it. But like every marketer out there was using it. It's like, I got a postcard for you. And now everybody's getting postcards, and it just gets lost in that. But I kept going. And sometimes keeping going is not a good idea um, with things that are clearly dying out and being less effective. But other mm-hmm. times, if you're not open to it at all, you'll never get to see those opportunities like you took advantage of.
1: Yeah. the Knowing when to give something a try, knowing when to let something go. Um, I tried another microcontinuity program last year that fizzled. I never picked up more than 100 members. Um, and it, I thought it was an awesome idea, um, but it did not capture the imagination of my affiliates, which I need mm. that if I'm going to get the reach that I that I need to make a microcontinuity program work. Um, I'm still, I'm all, I'm still dreaming about like what will be my next one because a microcontinuity program is powerful even though it's a tiny payment and I'm splitting it with the affiliate and I'm paying a PayPal a chunk um, and I'm outsourcing, basically it's a wash for me profit-wise. But a person who's paying you money every month is highly motivated to open your emails, and they convert well into all my other products and memberships. Yeah. So it's I really I really cool. to so find another one.
0: I know and it's hard not to be. If you if you have ever had that experience, it you can't really shake it. Like your first one where you kind of ventured out like that and and and, the, and then directly after that or during it too, you just become a hunter. Like you get really passionate about what can I what else can I? Like you just described and and that's a pretty fairly common phenomenon because it's fun, but you have to be balanced with that. I think I see people get carried away with that way too much and they're always hunting and they're never catching. They're never catching their prey at all because it's like they don't ever spend enough time on the thing they were just excited about to get it all up and running like you did. And, and then you can have the time to go and play with something else. I see a lot of people jump and ship too early on those kinds of things and that's what they, then there's the shiny object syndrome thing <laughs> in a nutshell. But before we go, I want to I want to get one last tip from you. But before we do that, I want to know where we can find you, get in your sphere of influence. What's the best place to uh, find out more about your stuff?
1: Solosmarts.com is my home base. Uh, that's where you can listen to the podcast and read the blog. There's a there's a little ebook, "Solopreneurs Are Smarter," that I give away there. That um, I'm super proud of. And you can join the Facebook group if you want to chat with me and other smart solopreneurs.
0: Awesome, awesome. So what would you say to folks, given what we talked about today, I think you pretty much know what's on the minds of our, uh, of our listeners. Uh, what would you say as far as anything that we talked about today, any last tips you have for us?
1: <clears throat> if you've created content that you're proud of, Leverage it by bubbling. I my years ago my daughter-in-law when I first met her, she was talking a mile a minute about a new video game that was coming out, and then she stopped and she said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm bubbling." And she's like, "I get so excited about something, and you know, I bubble like something up." And (laughs) I thought, you know, don't apologize because it's 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 appealing to see someone be excited about something. And so I share that with my people all the time. If you're proud of your content, be excited about it. Bubble about it on social media. Bubble about it in person. Bubble about it in your email list. If you're proud of it, tell them you're proud of it. You don't have to be stoic about the stuff that you've created. You can be excited, and it will create excitement in others.
0: Awesome. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Sorry about the glitches in the beginning. We could start a little bit late, and I could use those six minutes right now because I still want to ask you questions, but we're going to have to do it on another show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find all of our past episodes and our phenomenal guests like Kelly at theleveragists.com. Check it out. Thanks, Kelly, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks, Jack.